This evening, before we, as we get started, want to go ahead and you turn to the book of Obadiah this evening. Uh, go ahead to get into the book of Obadiah. If you go ahead, and I know everybody's already thinking, wow, what in the world are we doing? Go to the book of Amos, take a right, and if you get to Jonah, you've gone too far. There's a very small book, 21 verses in the book of Obadiah, and uh, I really have been praying about this and been considering this, and I'm thankful to be able to see uh, what God has been able to move in, in certain ways in my life and to be able to understand just how great and how wonderful He is and how He gives us exactly what we need. And I've been looking through these minor prophets. And the minor prophets are not minor at all. And I'm considering to do this, praying about this, and have been praying for some time, but to, to begin a little study about majoring on the minors, looking at the minor prophets and what they all mean and what they have to say. And are those minor prophets just dead prophecies that have nothing to do with us? And I can tell you that they have absolutely have things to do with the church of God. And I'm so thankful uh, that we do have that. Most of the time, most people believe that the minor prophets, they must not be as important. Uh, and that's not the case at all. Uh, Brother Joe says it this way. That's usually where all your pages of your Bible are still sticking together. Because they don't really get a whole lot of uh, time, a lot of popularity. A lot of people try to stay away from them. Uh, But I'm thankful that we can look at the whole counsel of the Word of God. We are told to preach not just the New Testament, not sections of the Old Testament, We're not told to preach just out of the Pentateuch or the history books or the major prophets or the wisdom verses or chapters or books of the Bible. But we are told to preach out of the whole counsel of the Word of God. So as we begin to this study this evening, I want you to to look at Obadiah chapter number 1, which is the only chapter that it has. Chapter number 1, Obadiah. Verse number 1 begins to say this. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a rumor from the Lord. Oh my. We won't get started yet there. And an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. Verse number three, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rocks whose habitation is high. That saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exaltest thyself as the eagle, and though I set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, and look at this, saith the Lord. Now to me, I believe, Brother Earl, that means that it's as good as done. Because when God says it, That's what's going to happen. We can try anything else. We can try any other way. We can try to make sure that we are going to do everything that we can to make this not come to pass. But when God says it, when God decrees it, therefore God is in charge. God is sovereign. God is the one that is going to make this all come to pass. So as a, by way of introduction, we look at these verses and we see this, that Obadiah, we know very little about Obadiah. Most of the prophets, when you begin to look at them, they actually date themselves by the naming the kings that are there during that time. But Obadiah doesn't do that. A lot of people have said, well, which Obadiah is it? 
Well, anybody uh, understands that there are several Obadiahs in the Bible. And as a matter of fact, Obadiah is a common, was a common name during this time and uh, a lot of people. But I thank God that uh, this man knew God. His name really truly just means this, worshiper of Jehovah. Hallelujah. So as we look through the several different people, one that stands out is the man that was in the court of Ahab. That man of court of Ahab uh, was not one that would be one, and I don't believe that that would possibly be him. But we really can't say who it is or who it wasn't. But we just simply say that, thank God that he has inspired this 21 verses just like he has inspired every other part of the Bible as well. And we take it to be able to understand. We know that is uh, not. We don't know which one it is. But he goes through and he quotes. He quotes several things. He quotes through uh, the book of Joel. He quotes several times the book of Amos. He quotes also uh, Jeremiah. So he goes through and quotes several of these verses. And the setting that we look at when we get to the book of Obadiah is this: that there's a nation that is in a a terrible perpetual tailspin, and they are in a political turmoil. Sound familiar? That sounds familiar to me. When we begin to look through and we begin to see that this is it, in verse number 1 it says, In the vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. I want you to look at this. It's very important. In fact, that I believe that when we begin to look at this, that this book was written to Israel, the people of God. But it was not written... And concerning anyone but Edom. It wasn't concerning Edom as much as God was sending this word to them. But he was warning one nation. Edom, destruction is coming soon. But yet he's giving a word of encouragement in another way to the people of Israel. Because... I'll be honest with you, when things look dark and things look dim and there's problems all over our, all over the church house and, and there's problems all over the world today uh, and we begin to look at this and we think that things are times are hard and times are difficult and things don't look uh, good. It's just all coming, to a, a, a coming all together and everything's caving in. When we look at that, God sends a messenger to give a word of encouragement. Tells the people of Israel, yes, this is going to happen. Now listen, they have treated you wrongly. They have had problems with you all along. And they've had such issues with you. But I can tell you this, God is saying to them that you will come through on the other side. That the destruction of your enemies will take place. And on the other side, as a matter of fact, the very last verse, I love the very last verse, the way that it says, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So on the end, in the end, guess who wins? We do. The people of God get to win. So there is a welcome that we have that we look at. But I want you to look real quickly, and I've, I've, I've seen it outlined several different ways, but you look at the first nine verses, and it could be a charge to Edom that this is what you have done wrong. And then there's a, a crime that Edom has done, that this is what's going on, this is why it's gonna, about to happen. But then there's a catastrophe at the end of the chapter, at the end of the book, and he says that this is what's going to happen in the end. But thank God that the people of God come out on the other side. But as we look at this, we look at this in a, a different way. We begin to look at it. This is what happens to you when you don't stand with the nation of Israel. Simply put, the destruction of Edom is because they turn their back on their brother. And then the nation of Edom simply came from Esau. 
Now we know exactly Esau and Israel were brothers. They were the ones that were coming through together. But yet Esau just sold his birthright and said, I don't want anything to do with it. Because number one, I think Brother Earl, he said this, that I have to have a relationship with God and I really don't want to do that. And I would rather just sell my birthright for a pot of soup than to have to do these things, to be the priest for my family, to be the one that is going to go forth and, and tell others. And this is an amazing, terrible thing that we, that we look at, but I want you to look, number one, I want you to look in these first nine verses, I want you to look that there's a destruction that is foretold. And when we begin to see that, look at verse number three, particularly, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, that thou dwellest in the clefts of the rocks, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Now, we live in America, and I thank God that I live in America. Brother Steve, I'm so thankful that uh, America is my home. I was born and raised here, right here in Georgia. Uh, I thank God that I didn't ever have to come from anywhere else. For those of you that have transported in here, I'm glad you got to come to God's country. Amen. Well, we're so thankful for that. But, but we begin to look at this, uh, that, that there's a pride that they begin to have. And, and Edom is saying, hey, we're so great and we're so wonderful and we have everything that we need right here in our area. There's no reason for us to even fret or worry about a threat of any way. Any military would not be able to come to us. No, no, no military has been able to do this. And God uh, has not been able to even touch us. And we're being able to live our own life without God. Now, I see a very similar way to when we look at America is shaking his fist in the face of God and is saying that I can live without you. God, I don't really truly need you. God, I don't really need to have what you're having to offer, but I'm here to tell you that you will not survive. We will not survive. This country will not survive unless we turn back to God. Like we had asked you already earlier today and this evening, we need to turn back to God, spend some time in the Word of God, spend some time listening to a a, a preaching of the Word of God, spend some time in prayer with the Lord Jesus Christ and, and make your petitions known that we have to do that, but there's a destruction that's foretold. And why is that destruction? take place because their pride deceived them. Pride will take you in a lot of places. I looked up just some verses with in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs number 8, Proverbs chapter number 8 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And the very first thing after that is pride and arrogance. There's a laundry list that goes even further on. But to fear the Lord is to hate pride, hate evil, hate pride, hate that. Uh, uh, Proverbs chapter number 11 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. Proverbs 16 says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Everybody remembers that one. Everybody knows that one. I remember a young man that, that uh, he was uh, coming on the basketball team and, uh, years ago with, with uh, Daniel and Ethan. And, and he said, man, the last school that I was at, I'd scored 30 points a game. I said, praise God. I'm glad to hear this. We need somebody that's going to be able to do that. Boy, I'd get so many rebounds. Oh, man, I'm really glad to hear this. Come to find out, he was all tall and no basketball. See, the pride will show you up. And that's exactly what the Word of God is saying, that this pride that comes. As a matter of fact, there's six things that God hates and seven are an abomination. And in that list of Proverbs chapter number six, what is the very first thing? A proud look. Pride. 
And we have to be careful with that. And the world that we're living in right now is full of pride. Why? Because of the position that they had. Look at that position in verse number 3. It says this, Because thou dwellest in the clefts of the rocks. Now, does that sound familiar? It's one of the, what used to be one of the uh, world uh, wonders of the world. A little city called Petra. This is where they were. Edom was there. They were uh, dwelling in that place. And if you've ever seen that, uh, where that's 170 foot tall and they have a, a little gap that there's no way their city is actually inside and carved out of that mountain. And they say that nobody's going to get us. Who's going to bring us to the ground? Who's going to do that to us? Because I don't see anybody that's going to be able to. No army can uh, go forth and, and, and bring a, a destruction upon us. But yet God said destruction is coming. And his destruction is foretold. Why? Because of they, they said their pride, because of their position, their pride, because of their protection. It's high off the ground. Verse number four. Uh, though thou uh, exalt thyself as an eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Boy, God is foretelling that exactly what's going to happen, that pride that... Uh, deceived them, but then look at me in verses number 7 through 9, you go down a little further, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming someday. And if y'all don't have time to go through it this day, tonight, but if you look through verses 5 and 6, you see that judgment is coming. He says, look, if robbers came in, they would leave you a little bit of things. If, if grape if came people come in to get the grapes, they would leave you a few because they just take what they wanted. But when I come and I destroy, I'm going to utterly destroy this nation. When you get to verse number six or seven and, and through nine, you begin to see that pride and self confidence is going to blind you. Going to blind you from the people that you hang out with. Be careful. My dad used to tell me all the time, Brother Steve, my dad would tell me all the time, be careful who you hang out with. Show me your friends. I love this saying that he said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Here in Edom, they're shocked by this betrayal. What betrayal is it? Verse number 7, And the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee, that they might eat the bread that they have and laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. They don't even understand what's going on. Why have they turned their backs on him? Pride will deceive you. The partners that they had, would deceive you. So you begin to say, well, Brother Shane, how is it that I cannot do this? How is it that I can stay away from this? How do I not do this? Well, look at verse number 10 with me, and it says this, For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. Brother Shane, what, what did they do? What, what did they do? Well, Numbers chapter number 20 Moses goes and they're out and about and they're having, uh, Miriam has just passed away. And there's problems that are happening in the, the fathers of Israel, the, the children of Israel. They're trying to make through and, and they send someone to the king of Edom and they say, can we just pass through? Can we take a shortcut to the land of Canaan? We're not trying to overtake you. We just want to use your land because we are your brothers. Let us just walk through. And in Numbers chapter number 20, when you get to the end of that, verse number 18, I believe is where it's at. He says that if you come through my land, I will come after you with the sword. Now, let me say this. I believe with all my heart that a nation that stands with Israel is going to be able to stand for a long time. But I can also tell you that a 
a nation that does not stand, they turn their back on the, Israel, the state, nation of Israel, then they will have destruction at their door. Not long ago, we had people in our politics that were saying we are no longer a Christian nation. And that is a sad, sad situation to be in. But I can tell you that God can turn things around. As long as the United States of America is still staying with the Israel, then we will be protected by that. But you look at this Israelites are uh, coming through and that downfall, number two, downfall is rece- uh, revealed. Look at verse number 11. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, the foreigners entered into the gates and, his, uh, and cast lots upon Jerusalem. Even thou was as one of them. And there was a day of destruction that was happening. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that thou became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of their distress. When you look through all those, he goes through and he says, Look, there was a day of disaster that was happening in Jerusalem. There was a day of disaster that was happening in, in Israel. And you just stood by and let it happen. Not only did that day of distress and that day of destruction come by and that day of disaster that was happening, but you stood by as everyone was invading, you looked. And then you even, in verse number 12, the end of verse number 12, you rejoiced. You said, I'm I'm glad that they are having these issues. I'm glad that Israel, boy, be careful, you're messing with God's people. The destruction that's happening, the day of calamity. You took part in the spoils. Whenever you decided, when they decided they they were going out and they were, uh, these other nations were coming against uh, Israel, you let them, but not only then, you went into the city with them and took some of the spoils for yourself. Oh, be careful. And then in verse number 14, amazes me. Because verse number 14, "Neither neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway and to cut off those that did escape. Some of the people of Israel were actually able to escape the destruction that were happening. They were running out, but the people of Edom stopped them, brought them back to this destruction that was happening, blocked off their way of escape. Folks, I'll just be honest with you. In this little book of Obadiah, when we look at what we need to be doing for the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be praying that our nation will turn to God and our nation will uh, all of a sudden just turn around and say, God, we need you to be first and foremost and we want everything that you want for us to be so true. But we also need to stand with the people of Israel no matter what. Then lastly, we begin to look at this. There's a day in the future. Verse number 15. See, that's the good part about God's Word. It doesn't leave you dangling over the depths of hell and gives you no hope. But the Word of God gives you hope. The Word of God gives you exactly what you need to be able to see later on. That there is destruction, there is distress, there is disaster, there is all of these, there's calamity all over the world. But God says, not forever. Verse 15 goes in and it says, for the day of the Lord. Now that right there excites me in itself. For the day of the Lord. Because every time you see the day of the Lord, Brother Jerry, something great is happening. The day of the Lord always is referring to, and in my studies that I've found, when you see the day of the Lord like that, it is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ coming and setting His kingdom up on this earth and being over all the nations. So there is a day coming. Hallelujah. 
There is a day coming that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to set up His kingdom. And we will be on the winning side. So the day of the Lord is looking for that time, the return, the coming of Jesus Christ. And we see that. For as you, verse number 13, or 16, excuse me. For as you have drunk upon the holy mountain, so shall the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink and they shall swallow down and they shall be as though uh, they had not been. They're saying that the things that you have done, the things that you have uh, caused problems with, they're going to do. Galatians chapter number 6, verse number 7 comes to mind. What you reap, you will sow. This is what you have done, and in the future, when the day of the Lord comes, this is what's going to happen to you. This is what's going to happen to that land. But look at verse number 17. This is where it gets really good. Deliverance. Deliverance. But upon Mount Zion shall shall be deliverance. I'm so glad that God still delivers. Boy, there were times that we've, we've talked about, we've even looked in the last few weeks in the book of Daniel where God delivered Daniel from the den of lions and God delivered those three Hebrew children from the, the fiery furnace and God delivered Jonah from the, the belly of a whale. God delivers all these. But thank God that I don't have to worry about and don't have to go into the midst of a fire to be able to see God's deliverance. And I don't have to go in the middle of a lion's den to be able to see God's deliverance. And, and I don't have to get swallowed up by a fish to see the deliverance of God. What I can see, Brother Mike, the deliverance of God in is the fact that God has delivered me from my sin, that God has delivered me from the penalty of sin and from the the, the way that sin is going to take us to death. And I thank God that I am delivered from that. And you can take great joy and great uh, uh, fact to know that you are a, a wonderful child of God if you've placed your faith and trust in Him. And that's a wonderful thing to know that God still delivers His children. Look at verse number 18 in the hope of And the house of Jacob shall be a fire. And the house of Joseph a flame. Boy, they're going to be on the attack. And the house of Esau for stubble. Utterly destroyed. And they shall kindle in them and devour them. And there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau. For the Lord hath spoken Not only is there a deliverance, but look at this decree, and we'll be finished up. Verse number 19, And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain of the Philistines, they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead, and the captivity of the host of the children of Israel shall possess that the Canaanites, even uh, unto Zarephath, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is of Shephard, uh, shall possess the cities of the south, and Savior shall come up on Mount Zion, and to judge the Mount of Esau. There's a decree. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So as we close this little Bible study that we were able to do this evening, and thank you for your patience, but to be able to take these few verses, to be able to see that God is still working and something that happened thousands of years ago, God still has a decree. You know what that tells me, Brother John? God doesn't forget. I'll be honest with you. There's been times that I've probably made a promise that I wasn't able to keep. And I wasn't able to keep it because why? Sometimes I probably just forgot. But God doesn't forget.
There's a book of remembrance. Malachi tells us that, thank God, that he has a book of remembrance for us, that he is keeping score, that he knows exactly what's happening. There is a day coming. The Lord Jesus Christ will come. He will set his kingdom up, and we will be on the winning side. But on a Wednesday night, why would you say something like this? But to be, in order to be on the Wednesday night, uh, the winning side, you have to be saved. You have to trust Christ as your Savior. You have to give your life over to Him. Trust what He has done. When He cried on the cross, it is finished. Thank God that He did everything we need in order to have salvation. I'm so thankful that God has given to that to us so freely. So as we look through the book of Obadiah, let's not fall in the footsteps of a nation that turned their back on Israel. Let's don't fall in the footsteps of taking pleasure in other people's calamities. Let's don't follow in the footsteps of saying, I don't really need God in my life. Let's follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust him for what he has done for each and every one of us. Let's stand all over the building. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this few moments.